In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amin. Today is the fourth Sunday of the blessed month of Tut. And um, in the Gospel of St. Luke this morning, we read perhaps one of the most beautiful scenes in the Gospels about the sinful woman who entered into Simon the Pharisee's home, in which Jesus was invited to Simon's home to dine with him. And the Gospel tells us that this woman, who was known to all to be a sinful woman, with her boldness entered into Simon's house and stood behind the feet of the Lord Jesus, weeping at his feet, washing his feet with her tears and anointing his feet with fragrant oil. And uh, the dialogue, of course, that takes place between our Lord and Simon and the many, many lessons that are um, in this gospel for all of us. Um, what we see in the example of this blessed woman who is our teacher this morning is that her sorrow her sorrow over her sins, over her life, led her to a great faith. And this faith led her to love. And this love led her to victory. And so we see that from the depths of her repentance, from the depths of her sorrow over her, the condition of her life, she comes to be baptized. She's baptized at the feet of the Lord with her tears. These are the waters of baptism that begin a new life for her. And her life is completely renewed at this moment in contact with Christ through her tears. She comes to realize that which hopefully we all come to realize and every person in the world comes to realize that Christ is the truth. He is the, the way and he is the life. He is the source and fulfillment of all of our human needs and all of our desires. We must, in a sense, arrive at the point of this blessed woman to say with Peter the Apostle, Lord, to whom else shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. She intuitively knew this without having followed the Lord, perhaps as Peter and the other apostles did. But nonetheless, intuitively, it was revealed to her that she could go to no other person other than the Lord to whom is the, the source and fountain of eternal life. And what we see is that, again, that this sorrow was the source, the source that led her to faith, that led her to love, that led her to victory. And this source is that virtue which we often call holy contrition, holy contrition. As you know, in Psalm 50, that blessed psalm that we recite in our prayers every day, numerous times, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise, a broken and a contrite heart. And in the book of Isaiah also we read that the contrite heart is the throne in which God descends to inhabit. In the book of Isaiah we read, thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build me and where is the place of my rest? For all those things my hand has made and all those things exist, says the Lord. But on this one, on this one, on this one will I look on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and he who trembles at my word. This is the one, this is the one that I will look upon, the one who is poor and of a contrite spirit. So what does the word contrition mean? If we take the word from its Latin root, contritus, it simply means something that has been ground to pieces or crushed. You can think of a, a stone or, or a nut or, or some uh, spices that have been completely crushed into powder. And this is 
the contrition of the broken heart. This is the, the brokenness of the human heart which God wants us to present to him, that our heart might be crushed before him in sorrow over our ingratitude and sins, but also in the, the sweet tears, the sweet tears of compunction, which are the tears of gratitude and thanksgiving and joy for the great gift of God to us. You, you might know um, that we read this gospel in the midnight hour of the Igbeya in the second watch. You know, the midnight hour is broken into three watches. And in the second watch, we read this gospel. And in the litany that follows the reading of this gospel in the second watch, we pray together saying, Give me, O Lord, many fountains of tears as you gave in the past the sinful woman. Give me, O Lord, these tears. Grant, O Lord, that I might have a broken and contrite heart and offer you these tears. Early in his monastic career, the great saint, Pope Carolus VI, when he was Father Mina, the solitary, when he was being questioned about his life as in solitude, when he was being questioned as to his motives for wanting to be a hermit, he wrote to his brother, his older brother, Hanna Yusuf Atta, and he wrote to him saying, there's nothing greater, think about what he says, there is nothing greater than for a man to remain alone in his cell, constantly begging God to grant him a fountain of tears to weep over his sins that God may forgive him. He says, the saint, that there's nothing greater than for a person to be in solitude in the presence of God, weeping for his sins. How, how many of us find those words difficult and distant from our reality? But it is something that we must think about. A contemporary saint told us a following story, which is very touching. He said that a guy went to confession, and in his confession, the confession father told him to go get a glass and to fill it with water, and that when he did this, his sins would be forgiven. So easy enough, he thought, as a penance or as, a, as an act after his confession to receive absolution, he went to the tap and he tried to fill the glass with water, but he couldn't fill it. For some reason, it wouldn't fill. And then he went to a stream where there was a river, and there he thought for sure he would be able to fill his glass of water, and for some reason, again, he couldn't fill the glass. Then finally, he went to the ocean, and he thought, for sure, in the ocean, I will be able to fill this glass. And somehow still, he was not able to fill his glass with water. And so, collapsing on the sand of the beach, he began to weep, thinking he would never have his sins forgiven because he wasn't able to fill the cup with water. And as he was weeping, his tears fell into the cup, and they filled the cup of water. And he understood what was required for the forgiveness of sins. Our Lord in the Gospel today relates a parable. He calls it the parable, or we call it the parable of the two debtors. Two debtors, one who owed 500 denarii, another 50. Ten times difference between the one and the other. And he asks Simon the Pharisee, which of the two debtors that he has spoken about would love the generosity of the creditor more? The answer was clear to Simon. The answer is obviously clear to all of us. The one who owes more and is forgiven more, to him the one will also love more. And this principal creditor, of course, is God, and the debtors are you and I. In reality, not 500 denarii, not 50 denarii, but there aren't enough denarii in the world that could put a price on the debt that we owe to our Lord God and Savior for what he has done for us. 
there's that beautiful uh, fraction in, in uh, one of the, um, the prayers of fraction in the church that we say, we can say it really at any time of the year. It's not assigned to a specific time of the year. It's one of the fractions that's called the fraction to the sun. A fraction to the sun. And the, the whole fraction is, is full of, of uh, tender gratitude to our Lord for what he has done. But I want just to read a passage from it because of how, um, how much it relates to um, our gospel this morning. The priest says in this fraction, my sins, O oh my God, are the thorns which pierce your holy head. I who have saddened your heart by my rejoicing in the vain pleasures of this world, what is this road that leads to death in which you are walking, O oh my God and my Savior? What is it that you are carrying upon your shoulders? This is the cross of shame which you have carried on my behalf. What is this, O Redeemer? What has caused you to consent to this? Shall the Great One be despised? Shall the Glorified One be afflicted? Shall the Exalted One be humbled? O oh, the greatness of your love! Yes, it is your great love that made you accept with endurance all these sufferings for my sake. I give thanks to you, O oh my God, and your angels. With all your creation, give thanks to you on my behalf, for I am unable to present your praise as befits your love. Have we ever seen a greater love? Have we ever seen a greater love? So be sorrowful, O oh my soul, for your sins that cause these sufferings to your compassionate Redeemer. Portray his wound before you and hope in him when the enemy rages against you. Grant me, O oh my master, to consider your suffering my treasure, the crown of thorns my glory, your sorrows, my joy, your bitterness, my sweetness, your blood, my life, and your love, my pride, and my thanksgiving. So when we just spend some time reflecting, meditating on the great love of God and his creation and his redemption and his providence towards each one of us, we ourselves are incapable of paying back this debt. We are incapable of even giving thanks to to this great benefactor of ours. And we call upon creation, we call upon the angels to come to our aid in order that they might help us in returning gratitude to our great God and Savior. And so as we said, sorrow led her to faith and faith led her to love and love led her to, cur to victory, courage and victory. And this is what contrition does, holy contrition, a broken, a crushed heart leads us to a kind of spiritual courage to, 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 to seek the one who can console and soothe our broken heart, to the one who can heal and bring forgiveness and hope to our broken heart. And this courage leads us to victory. And this is what one of the contemporary saints said. He said the contrition, this contrition that we see, especially in the example of this holy woman, is spiritual courage since it is the only state in which man, inspired by the grace of God, dares to stare at his spiritual poverty without despairing, whilst hoping that he who revealed to him the depths of his desolation is also able to carry him across unharmed to the other bank where God is. What a beautiful, what a beautiful reflection that inspired by grace, we are able to stare and confront the reality of our spiritual poverty, our sinfulness, our nothingness, our indebtedness to God.
But this doesn't come with despair, it comes with hope. Because the one who revealed to us the depths of our nothingness, the one who revealed to us the depths of our sinfulness, he is the one who carries us across to the bank where God is, to the other side of the river, if you will, where we receive that soothing and that consolation. And so let us, like Daniel the prophet, say in that beautiful prayer, he says, O Lord, righteousness belongs to you, but the shame of face belongs to me. Righteousness, O Lord, belongs to you, but to me, the shame of face. So it's victory because in this shame of face, in facing our poverty, in facing our nothingness, we come to fulfill the beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, what for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Is there, is there another victory that we seek other than the kingdom of God? Is there any greater or more glorious victory than to be identified as those who are worthy to inhabit the kingdom of God? Therefore, the contrition that this woman bore in which each of us are called to bear in our hearts, leads us to this courage with hope and helps us to receive the beatitude of the, the blessed. And so we see that this, uh, this blessed woman today received this divine consolation. And this should also cause us to ask ourselves, what is the difference between worldly sorrow and divine sorrow, holy sorrow and earthly sorrow? because we see that this woman clearly manifested a sort of holy and divine sorrow, and therefore she received the holy and divine consolation. But there are many of us who weep over earthly things. We weep over things in which we don't find divine consolation because what we weep for isn't divine sorrow, but it's earthly sorrow. And so what it can be the test that tells us whether our tears, whether our weeping, whether outward weeping or inward weeping, whether they are holy tears or earthly tears, where the very, simple re the very simple test will be what kind of consolation do we seek? If in our earthly tears we seek earthly consolations, we run to every human being to satisfy us, we attach ourselves to all kinds of things, finding some brief satisfaction and respite from our pain. We try to fill our life with more people and more things and more pleasures then clearly we have a response that this is not holy sorrow, but it is simply earthly sorrow. But the divine sorrow leads us to solitude. It leads us to the feet of Christ. It leads us, like in the story of Mary and Martha, to remain as Mary did at the feet, refusing to even move to be served until she was consoled, until she was able to bear the word of God. It is good for us to be active in our service. It's good for us to serve one another but first and foremost, we fall at the feet of Christ and we don't leave him until, until he consoles us because of the indebtedness that we have to him for our sinfulness and our ingratitude. So if your tears lead you to his feet, if they lead you to say, Lord, I refuse any consolation from any human person unless it comes from you through them, through the church or through confession or through a good friend or through a parent or through a, a, a counselor, but it has to be divine consolation. It has to be coming from, from the Lord who leads us to, again, spiritual victory, not just to a momentary happiness in our life.
one of the uh, contemporary uh, mystics and wonder workers in Italian by the name of Father Delindo. He wrote very beautifully, he said, Behold, O Lord, two crucifixes. So in his image, he sees two crosses, two cruci crucifixes facing each other. Behold, O Lord, two crucifixes, one before the other, the divine crucifix, which is you, who open your arms to embrace me with your goodness, and the crucifix weighed down by its misery, which is I, who opens my arms to run to your mercy, to place in you all my miseries. I look to you, my Jesus, and I see that there exists an intimacy between us. Your eyes are fixed in their gaze on me, and my eyes look at you. The two gazes meet, one which pleads and one which forgives, one which implores and the one which judges with mercy. So the arms of Christ on the cross embracing me and the arms of the sinner on the cross seeking to be, to embrace the one who can forgive. And the two gazes, the two eyes meet. And again, as one other spiritual father said, prayer is like a conversation between two beggars. God who begs for our requited love and we who beg for his salvation, redemption, forgiveness, and hope. Elder Paisius tells a beautiful story about tears. He said, a priest once told me something that a very simple and good priest had once confessed to him. And he says, quote, I have such a hard time during uh, the liturgy consuming the holy gifts at the end of the liturgy. You know at the end of the liturgy what's left in the chalice and in the patent the priest consumes with the help, of course, of the deacons. So the priest uh, says, I have such a hard time consuming the holy gifts at the end of the divine liturgy. My filthy tears, my filthy tears fall into the chalice. I cannot contain them, and this makes me so upset. He's upset because his tears fall into the chalice. He feels that his tears are somehow tainting the holiness of the chalice. And as he was speaking these words, the priest was crying. And so the other priest who heard this confession said to him, my father, please ask Christ to give me some of those filthy tears too. May we each ask that we might have a portion with those filthy tears. And contrition leads us to a certain refinement of our spiritual life and relationship with God. Sometimes we come to confession and we say, well, Abun, I didn't kill anybody, didn't commit adultery, I didn't rob a bank, I didn't abuse anyone. You know, the regular things, the small things. I lied, I cheated, I broke my fast, you know, like everybody else. And what we come to realize in holy contrition and the examples of the saints is that the saints don't operate anymore in the realm of the big sins, but they operate in the realm of refinement and negligence. For them, the smallest negligence brings them to tears before the great God who has forgiven them. St. John of Kronstadt, that great uh, spiritual pastor of the 20th century in Russia, he says, let us fear hardened insensibility to our sins. Let us fear the pride of our hearts which say, I do not need any forgiveness of sins. I am not guilty. I am not sinful. 
or else my sins are trifling. They are only human ones like everyone else, as though it were only necessary that they should be diabolical. I do not feel amiss living in these small sins. He says, this is the pride of Satan, and it is Satan himself speaking these words in our hearts. An example of negligence in which one of the saints saw in the heart of another person was that um, of Padre Pio, the great Italian saint of the 20th century, who was able to read hearts and know the secrets by the gift of God that was given to him. And so in the life of Padre Pio, there are thousands of such stories. And this story is about a woman who flew across the Atlantic Ocean to go see him. She wanted to go to confess to this great mystical saint who could read hearts. She landed in Rome early on a Sunday morning and she went to her, te- her hotel room and was very tired and sleepy as would be natural for any one of us. So she decided that she would lie down and take a small nap and that she would catch the late morning liturgy because it was a Sunday after all. She ended up waking up at 3 p.m. in the afternoon. So she missed mass, she missed liturgy. She didn't mean to miss liturgy, she intended to go to liturgy. The following day, she made it to Padre Pio and she began to confess her sins. And when she finished confessing all her sins, he said to her, is that everything? And she said, yes. He said, are you sure? She said, yes, I'm sure, that is everything. He said, well, about, what about yesterday when you flew across the Atlantic and you landed in Rome and you went to a hotel and you laid down to sleep and you woke up at 3 p.m. and you missed the divine liturgy? He said, I know you didn't mean to miss it, but your negligence nonetheless hurt our Lord. So you see, the saints function in the realm of negligence. They don't function in the realm of big, grave sins. In the Desert Fathers, we're told about an elder who was weeping over his sins, and his disciple in the other cell could hear him weeping. And so he came to him and he said, Father, why are you crying? Why are you weeping? He said, my son, I'm weeping over my sins. The disciple said, but you don't have any sins, Father. He said, truly, my child, if I were allowed, if I were allowed to see my sins, three or four men would not be enough to weep for them. So end with another beautiful story about uh, a Romanian elder who told this story, contemporary Romanian elder told this story about a mission that was given to an angel by God. God said to this angel, he said, I want you to go down to the earth and to travel wherever you want to go. Travel the whole earth. You have as much time as you need. Bring to me the most pleasing thing to me. The angel began to descend from his heavenly glory and he began to scour the earth And he said to himself, I must bring to God the most pleasant thing to him. And so he found found a situation, a scene, in which there was a man who was in the last moments of his life who had shed his blood in fighting a war. He had sacrificed himself for his country. He was leaving home a widowed woman and orphaned children. So the angel thought, well, this must be very pleasing to God. And he took that blood and he flew up to heaven And he said, Lord, look, this man is a hero. He defended his country. He died as a a sacrificial hero for for his country. He will receive some sort of crown, will he not? The Lord said, this is wonderful, but I asked you to bring me the most pleasant thing. Go back and search for it. So the angel traveled here and there again, searching until he arrived at a hospital. 
And there he saw that there was somebody dying in the hospital from an incurable disease, isolated in a room with nobody around him except one person, one person who was brave enough to console this sick person. And this person sacrificed themselves, risked being infected in order to bring consolation to this sick person. And in fact, this person contracted the virus and she was in the last moments of her life. So the angel said, what could be a greater sacrifice than this? So he took this and he flew up to heaven and he said, look, look Lord, this one woman who was able to stand by the, the deathbed of a, of a dying person and she herself even in her sacrifice, she contracted the disease. This must be the most pleasing thing. And the Lord said, no, go back and search deeper and deeper. I want the most pleasant thing. So the angel went back to the earth and, and then he came upon a scene where his eyes were fixed on a thief. And this thief had committed many murders, he abused women, he robbed many places. And he was someone that was feared in all of the area that he lived. And this thief was approaching a remote house in a village where there lived a young woman with her child. And the thief was waiting outside of the window until nightfall so he wouldn't be discovered so that he could commit his crime. And as night fell, he looked through the window and he found that a small candle was lit, a mother with her child, and they prayed. She crossed herself and she crossed her, her baby many times as they prayed. The child was sleeping on the pillow and above their head was an icon of the mother of God and the child Jesus. And the mother continued her prayer. And for the first time in his life, after decades of being a villain, a crook, a murderer, he began to feel burdened by his past. He began to feel burdened by his sins. He began to think about his own mother. And he remembered how his own mother prayed with him. And he remembered how happy he was when he was in the arms of his mother when she prayed. And as he began to think in such a way, the tears began to, to roll down his face. And everything flashed before his face, all of the murders that he committed, all of his sins, all of the robberies, all of the women he abused. And the angel grabbed this tear and he flew to heaven and he presented it to God. And he said, I think God is going to like this. And when he went to God, God said, yes, yes, this is the greatest joy for me, this tear. And so the elder concludes the story by saying, God's love for the greatest sinner is infinitely more than the greatest saint's love for God. God's love for the greatest sinner is infinitely more than the greatest saint's love for God. May the Lord give us holy contrition, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise, and glory be to him forever. Amen.